When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Book Riot Podcast, weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 194, recording on Thursday, January 26th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Krasinski, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Boy, what a week it's been. Oh, uh, boy. We just had a, a pre-show. I don't even know what you call it. Uh, <laughs> 25 minutes of feelings. Just Yeah, just sort of decompressing or recompressing or just we're putting air somewhere else where it wasn't before, I guess, is really what was happening. I hope you all are doing well, um, managing some sort of way to hang in there. Um, I, what, I, I have Inferno, the movie that I haven't, I didn't go, I didn't see it in the theater. You haven't seen it yet? And I haven't seen it because I, because we don't go to the movies unless it's like, you know, the Star Wars or An something event. like that. So I love Dan Brown. I read the book. I'm not, we're not, and Michelle's not, she, we're not going to get a sitter to go see Inferno in the theater. I love Dan Brown, but I already read the book. Give me a break. What do you want? <laughs> but I have, I, it came out this week on video and I'm just sort of, it's like, I don't know. It's like, it's that kind of like that feeling that's almost better than opening presents when you're a kid that uh-huh. like the presents are in there. Like the, the latent potential the of pleasure is actually better yeah. than the sort of the, the kinetic energy of, of pleasure. So like, I'm just waiting for some day where I can unleash the inferno to sort of get me through. I don't know what, I don't know what will, will finally uh, open the, the gates of hell for me <laughs> to watch it. But uh, I, it's, it's, that's what I'm holding on to, Rebecca. That's it where is, I am right now. It is deeply satisfying. Amanda and I, I can't remember what was going on in the world yeah. when the movie came out, but we did the same thing. We took a morning off and went to see it as like our act of escapism, mm-hmm. and it was wonderful. Um, if yeah. you do need other cinematic-based therapy ah. and you haven't seen Hidden Figures yet, go do mm. that. I did I'm that. looking forward to that. Yeah, I, yeah, I read the book. Uh, there are some changes in the movie, of course, uh, but the movie was excellent uh, and especially, you know, a, a timely reminder of the values of diversity in this country. I think I told you on um, back channels that, um, you know, we do the daily deals uh, uh-huh. and um, the hidden figures came up. I think it was between uh, Christmas and New Year's or maybe right after. Anyway, it came up it was $1.99, the ebook, the the book, and it was by like by a factor of four the the best-selling deal I've ever posted. Uh, and it, I, I don't know, people were just in the mood or what it was going on, but the movie was out. And I've done deals where the movie was out mm-hmm. and they do well, but nothing like this one ever had. So whatever for whatever reason, that one, I, was, I wasn't surprised it did well. I was shocked that it did 4X. Yeah, um, really You know, incredible. a big title. Like, it's a great read. Yeah, I've heard it's a good read. I, I I bought it myself. I've done this thing where I'm squirting away 199 books on my e-reader too, for I don't know, just kind of like a library of stuff that's just available. It's yeah. not really a TBR. That's so really like, oh, that's nice when you're on a plane and you're in that like I don't know what I want to read, but I have yeah. all these, and then you have that wide variety. So anyway, why don't you do our first sponsor? Because boy, is it it's an action-packed show. I mean, there's a lot going on here too. <laughs> there is. There's a lot to talk about this week. So we want to thank first off Madison Reed for sponsoring the show this week. It's a crazy time of year. The beginning of the year always is busy. Uh, if you are too busy to schedule a salon appointment, but you got those roots showing, or I don't know, maybe you just had a breakup, you want a new hair color, a new job, you want a new look, you can hardly get in for a haircut, nevertheless sitting for those hours to get your hair colored, Madison Reed is for you. If you color your hair in a salon or you touch up your roots to extend the time between salon visits, this is going to be revolutionary to help you save time and money. Madison Reed produces luxurious at-home salon quality hair color, and it has ingredients that you can feel good about. They've made coloring your hair easier than ever before. They have expert colorists. There's a cool color matching tool on the site where you put in the color that your hair is now, sort of the texture, the length, is it curly, is it thin, is it thick, all those variables, um, and the color you're trying to get to, and it auto-magically tells you which shade of um, hair 
color you should use to achieve that goal. Uh, it'll help you select your most flattering shade. You have access to their professional colorist via phone, text, or email. So they've really thought of everything to help you make your at-home hair coloring experience easier than it's ever been before. You can find your perfect shade by going to madison-reed.com. And you'll get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit when you use the code BOOKRIOT, all one word. So that's madison-read.com and the code is BOOKRIOT so that you can do your do. Try it. Love it. That's the beauty of Madison Reed. Let's do a follow-up. I, I don't have this on the, the show notes, but I thought I'd follow up with this. I um, got a lot of good email uh, over the last week from people about the the library bookstore sales relationship. Do they cannibalize? Don't they? If they do, does it matter? And um, thank you guys, first of all, so much for writing in and showing your opinion and experience, whatever. Um, but I will say that it is uh, inference, circumstantial, and anecdata. I mean, that's what I'm getting. I mean, that's because we mm-hmm. talked about that. On the, that's what we have. I, that's, not a, that's not a critique necessarily of what people sent, but that's what we have. And I think people were I – don't, I don't know if it's – I came across differently than I meant. I don't know that libraries cannibalize – book sales any way that matters. I, ah. I don't. Uh, I have no idea. What, but the, my point is that no one does. Right. Like, and I, and I, I just can't believe that it's the sort of a Voltaire Candide situation. We just happen to live in the best of all possible worlds where we have the right balance or the, the most idealized balance of libraries and publishing or whatever. I just, I just, there's no data for it. So like ease up on the, in general saying, well, libraries don't cannibalize bookstore sales. Well, you can argue that, but you don't know. You don't have any evidence for that. And you can make that claim where you say, I believe that to be true because of X, Y, or Z, but I just don't have any, there's no data we can hold on to that says. And the ones that we do was only something like, well, when we had the financial downturn in 2000, 2008, 2009, library um, patronage went up, which the, that's the only real data we have that correlates sort of money in people's pockets to library usage. And that suggests that it does cannibalize to some reason because they're spending more time with the library than theoretically they would have uh, otherwise. So that, that's all I'm trying to say. And it, it can be it's a trap to fall into. And maybe it's a political moment. I don't know what it is, but I'm less generous with my sort of uh, – <laughs> Uh, ability to withstand motivated reasoning generously, right? Like, <laughs> I, I just, let's just, we, I, we can bias, say we don't know. We right. can say we don't know. That's okay. And as I think you said very, very well and aptly last time, even if it's not true that publisher, that, that even if it's true that library takes some sales out of publishing, I don't think any of us would say that the the merits of libraries don't outweigh whatever cost that is. Right. Like, I, I think that's the other thing. It's like, well, okay, so publishing pays a quote-unquote tax to libraries so that libraries can be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, great. That's yeah, fine. that is that's great. Fine. I'm down with it. Yeah. And, you know, like, maybe, I mean, I'm sure publishing cares if that's the case. But as you've said over and over, for like, for the existence of Book Riot, what's good for readers is not yeah. always the same as what's good for publishers. And we care here about what's good for readers. And there's no question that healthy library systems getting that are getting used and continuing yeah. to circulate books so that they can continue to have funding are a thing that are good for readers. Yeah, and, and so I, that's just what I want to be clear about. I'm not saying, yeah, we should get rid of libraries so that you know publishing can make more money. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that in this particular where we're saying if libraries didn't exist tomorrow and even accounting for the lost sales because libraries do actually buy mm-hmm. books, by the way, even if you accounted for those – and publishing then made magically 8% more money or 12% or 20% more money, I still wouldn't make that trade. And I don't think yeah, anybody oh yeah. would. So that that's all I'm trying to say is like we could make a strong, full-throated argument, defense, love fest for libraries without also having to do magical thinking. Says, oh, and by the way, they magically don't also cannibalize book sales, right? I, right. We don't have to do that. Let's. I mean, I just want to be clear-minded about it a little bit. Um there as well. Um, we should my probably ar- like maybe warn the listeners that we're both rereading Thinking Fast and Slow right yeah, now. Yeah, and so yeah. we might just be like extra insufferable for the next well, it's, little it's, bit. It's I mean, motivated reasoning, like that's a term of art too. It's like yeah. interpreting data with a particular mm-hmm. um, theory or position already in mind right. affects how you think. It does. It just does. It really does. And, and there's no problem. That's natural. It's not evil. But, you know, Kahneman says that you can do something against that, right? Well, like and publishing mindfulness is, about it. 
sort of traditionally in my experience, publishing is really good at like, here is the phenomenon that we believe exists because we believe it exists. And if you go to the, okay, well, based on what? Right. So often the answer is like, well, we feel like it exists. And uh, I've experienced that like one-on-one in meetings with people talking about, mm-hmm. you know, talking about sales, talking about the effectiveness of different kinds of advertising, all sorts of things. Um, and it sort of happens in very broadly in all this received wisdom about how the publishing industry works, whether library users support publishing sales or whether they cannibalize them like there's there's all this stuff that people believe and do we just critics don't matter know. do they not matter do reviews right. matter they, like just, all that kind of stuff we just don't know there are there the numbers are not available um mm-hmm. And because of how difficult to obtain some of those numbers would be, like I'm sure there are people who could conduct these studies and do them well, but, but well, they I don't mean, that, we'll get to the New York, we'll get to bestseller list in yeah, a minute because yeah, I'm yeah. ready We're to go about that. that. Wanna... Um, but but the, I mean, the other thing, oh, I just lost. Oh, I, I did develop a couple of quick experiments that a publisher could try if they wanted to, mm, mm-hmm. if they wanted to. Um, I think I was doing this on the Book Riot yeah. staff Slack the other day. There, so there's two ways you could go. I think the easiest way would be if so you have sort of your a midless novel, you know, whatever you know, something it might be that maybe some bookstore, uh, excuse me, some libraries buy and some don't, right? Sort of your average, you know, kind of book. Well, what if a publisher decided, you know what, what we're going to test to see how library uh, books being in the libraries affect sales by taking a cohort of these kinds of books and just making them six times as available. Right? Maybe you give libraries more copies. The ones that buy it, maybe the ones that don't buy, you give you just send them some copies. Copies, right? And you do that for a statistically significant set of books, and then compare it mm-hmm. to a similar cohort. Right? This is kind of what a controlled experiment yeah. looks like, right? Mm-hmm. And see if it shows up. Is there any? Uh, do people who then buy the book? Or read the book, or you know, borrow it, or just sing on the shelf. Do, do the sales go up? Do they go down? Like, what? Ha- I mean, that would be a someone could do that. Some publisher could could do that. Um, conversely, the thing they could do is not take a, a similar cohort of books and just not make them available to libraries at all. Yeah, you know, there are no there are no books on the shelves. So what does that do to the sales yeah, to that? If you can't of books? get it from the library, do all of those yeah. potential library borrowers convert to sales or what percentage of them can you sort of correlate into new sales? Yeah, it's an right, interesting right. question. So, no I mean, one's that, ever gonna conduct No that one's ever gonna do it, but I'm saying it's not <laughs> impossible if someone right. would to. It's not yeah. like you know, it's not like trying to it's not like trying to send a shuttle into the center of the sun. Like it's it's possible to do. It's just someone wants to have to do it. And it suggests to me that since publishing doesn't do this, either one two one of two things or possibly both of them are true, actually. That's a false binary. But either they don't actually think it's that big of a problem, or B, they don't think they can get the answer to it. And I don't think either of those things are true. I mean, I, I mean, they just don't know. Yeah, they just I, think don't it's, know how much I think it goes back a little bit further, like closer to the origin of the question in that publishing, I don't think is terribly interested in asking the question or finding out because I, mm-hmm. I don't believe that they would do anything different based on whatever the data showed yeah. at the end, but like publishing for the same kinds of reasons that publishing doesn't push back against Amazon. Like they need Amazon. And so like Penguin Random House has not said, screw you. We're just going to launch our own e-commerce right, right, thing right, right. for books for the kind of those same reasons. Even if it turned out that libraries like hugely cannibalize book sales, um, Publishers still want to maintain those good feelings and relationships with libraries because some library circulation is better than no library no, I, circulation. I, I think that's like, right. I guess I'm thinking from the let's say there's even just a 15% chance that making your books more and like copiously available actually does help sales. That, that's kind of I mean, mm-hmm. is there if there's a chance of that, then that's an experiment you should try, right? Because maybe there's all this untapped. Anyway, that, that's just a long way of saying that publishing statistics drive me crazy, and it's bonkers, and it's, <laughs> well, this and is no way to run a this right. Is no and way then, to run like that, age. gets into how people think about gambles of like, well, if there's a fifteen yes. percent chance that it does increase it, that means there's an eighty five percent chance that the reverse happens that library availability hurts your book sales. And what if we find out that making our books available in libraries hurts our sales? What if we actually know that? Then then do we have a responsibility to do something different? Yeah, um, I guess at least you would be making a mindful decision, right? Like you wouldn't mm-hmm. just like sort of be pretending. And if there's a 15% chance it does, it doesn't mean there's 85% chance it doesn't. It just means there's an 85% chance that it doesn't help. It could just right. be neutral, well, yeah, right? True. It could right, not right, matter, right. right? Or it could be within some you know margin of error. Anyway, so anyway. <laughs> that's a long way of saying, I appreciate the thought experiment and thinking along 
with me um, and with us. But this is the kind of thing we do. But it does speak to a sort of a broader point we'll get to a little bit about sort of the data sets available and not sharing information and blah, blah, blah. That makes me crazy. Um, speaking <laughs> Shall of crazy we move making. Along yeah, let's move along. I, that's a lot more follow up. Crazy making follow up. So um, follow up from a couple of weeks ago when we talked about an alt. Are we going to say the name? Let's, not, not, let's, keep, let's keep up. Let's I'm keep up. The, yeah, no, let's keep up the facade. Right. Uh, conservative white nationalist online harassment leader bully that got a book deal. Uh, two pieces of follow up this week. We did say that the publisher was Simon and Schuster. On yeah, that, we did. That I, first I slipped one. So we can, we can say that Jerry yeah. Lee, who is a deputy books editor at Buzzfeed doing killer work, um, obtained, Indeed, yeah. um, obtained a memo from inside Simon and Schuster that was sent to all of their authors from Carolyn Reedy, who is the editor, editor publisher She's the CEO of Simon & Schuster, um, addressing how this book deal began. And basically, the message is, um, we promise that we don't, let's see, what is the exact quote? Um, we don't, uh, the letter concludes that they, Simon & Schuster will not publish books they think will incite hatred, discrimination, or bullying, and they promise that they're going to work with the author to hold his books to those standards. Once the offer was made, our responsibility as a publisher is to work with him to produce the book he and our staff envisioned, blah, blah, blah. Um, so they don't condone or support hate speech, nor will they publish it. Uh, but now that they've signed someone who traffics in it, they're going to make sure he makes a good book, and you're just supposed to, you're just supposed to trust that. <laughs> I guess it's the most, I think you used the word obtuse on Twitter. And I, I find that to be a very accurate portrayal of this. Uh, it's, it, and it's like, is it willfully obtuse? Do they, do they really think that this is a good defense of the decision? Like take us at our word. Of course we wouldn't let this hateful person write a hate speech book, give it a chance. He's going to write a good book. We're going to help him. Like, do they really believe that? Or do they know that it's BS and they're just hoping no one else can see it? Like, I'm I'm trying to determine at which point the emperor's clothes have fallen off here. Jeff? Motivated reasoning, like I was talking before, cuts a couple ways. Like, I think you can convince yourself that you're doing the right thing if it is especially in your interest to think you are doing the right thing here. Um, I, obtuse was the word I used initially. I, I, I've thought about it a, a lot more since then. I've thought about the logic here. And I think it, there's there's a hypocrisy at the, the base mm -hmm. of this, and, it, and, and it's here, which is they say that Threshold Editions is editorial independent, so that, you know, absolving SNS corporate of any responsibility for signing it, and yet say they will not publish hate speech, would suggest that Threshold is not editorially independent, right? Because Threshold is not the one saying we won't publish hate speech. It's the CEO of I'm Simon, Simon & Schuster. Schuster. right. So they're saying... They're actually not – there is a – There is a. what they're saying without saying it is there is a line in which Threshold Edition is no longer editorial independent. There is a line in which the imprints are subject to you know, the moral compass, I guess, of SNS corporate, whoever the person who could fire or pull the plug or whatever yeah, they I mean, could do. Yeah, it says that neither Threshold Editions nor any of our imprints will publish books that we think will incite yeah, hatred. But, yeah. but, do they, but all the imprints magically independently <laughs> all come to that conclusion? I don't yeah, think no, so. I think that, right, that comes, it has to come from the top down. And, you know, in response, like this was circulating on Twitter when the story first broke. We were talking about it. And in response to it, like, no one said it to me directly, for which I am grateful because I have enough flames on the side of my face like to to deal with right now. But I saw um, a subtweet from the editor of a major literary publication yes. saying, uh, well, I could believe what someone tells me is or isn't going to be in a book, or I could read it myself and find out. And if mm -hmm. we're talking about a different kind of book in general, I am on that train. But when you're talking about a book by someone who traffics in hate speech and who like wants to see how much harm he can do and how much harm he can incite other people to do basically just for funsies who, who like is a white nationalist and works with Breitbart and all of the things that those groups stand for what you're really saying is give the book by the Nazi a chance like yeah. hear him out maybe it's just a difference of political opinion and that sort of perspective is not just a difference of political opinion. And that's where the line comes. Like, this is not just another book by Rush Limbaugh, who has done plenty of things I disagree with, but has not crossed the kinds of lines that this man 
has crossed. Like this is not going to be a debate about friendly ideas. But and once we start entertaining white mm-hmm. nationalism or the even just the people who tr- purvey those notions as just a difference of political opinion worth considering, hear him out, see what's in the book, you start to validate that that's a real and reasonable perspective to have and i'm not going there ever yeah me, me neither and 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 i would dis i would i would strongly object to and and talk smack on this position but i would respect in a different way if they had said something to the effect of which is i think actually more close to the, the truth which is we publish books that's our business some of the books people aren't going to like and they're going to not like the people that write them and they're not going to like what's in them and our business is publishing books, and we have to deal with that. You know, mm-hmm. I, in a way, I would respect that more than this, this wanting this sort of weird arbitrage they're doing of like, well, they're editorially independent, so we, I, Carolyn Reedy, didn't sign this book, well, and yeah, it's but, like we want but to... we're not, we're going to make sure that it meets our editorial standards. But they're editorial, like that. There's nothing there. Like that, that you start getting to uh, logical incompatibility, which means nothing. Right. So either you, the, either you do or you don't. Either yeah, you either... do. Or you don't. Either you care about how the public feels about the yes. work you put out, or you don't, and you just publish the stuff you want to publish. And this whole like the equivocation going on here, where it basically looks like they want book media to come around and be like, "Oh yeah, we can feel okay about this book existing." Like, it, either just say you're doing the thing and do it, and that you don't care about what the response is, or listen to the feedback and act upon the feedback um, if you care. But this is like they care about the feedback, but only insofar as they just want everyone to shut up so they can keep selling this book. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and there's also something like this censorship and blah, blah, blah. Like, give me a break. Like, mm-hmm. give me a break. Like Thomas Paine printed common sense on like a printer, like a, a movable type press in like somebody's basement. Like Leroy Jones uh, now, or, or then, then became Amiri Baraka was like Xeroxing copies of Dutchman, his play, and like handing it out on the streets of Harlem. Like that, that stuff, that's what freedom of speech is protecting. Like that you can go out and do this stuff. There's not, not at all is this about being able to get a quarter million dollar advance from a huge multinational corporation for them to pimp your book out. Like that's yeah. that's not on the table and, here. I know, and you and I, I don't think are on the side of this guy should be in jail or he should like get his fingers cut off so he can't, you know, like none of this stuff, like keep him from a typewriter kind of stuff. <laughs> like that's not what we're doing here. Right. Like th- I'm not moving the goalposts for you guys. I'm not moving it to like, if you can't get, a, if a big publisher won't publish your book, you're being censored. Well, guess what? Thousands of people every day don't get book deals that mm-hmm. submit their careers. Well, like that, that's that, part of the game. It is part of the game. And that moves us along to the next follow-up yes. piece in this story, um, which is the first of what I hope will be several stories like this, uh, which is that uh, a Simon & Schuster author uh, has pulled her book from Simon & Schuster in response to this book deal. Roxane Gay uh, had a book scheduled to come out later this year called How to Be Heard with TED Books um, based from the TED Talks, which is a different imprint of Simon & Schuster. And um, she pulled that last week. She asked her agent, she was supposed to turn the book in. She couldn't make herself do it. So she asked her agent to pull the book. She did not want to be in the same house. And she says, and to be clear, this isn't about censorship. He has every right to say what he wants to say, however distasteful I and many others find it to be. He doesn't have a right to have a book published by a major publisher, but he has in some bizarre twist of fate (laughs) been afforded that privilege. So be it. I'm not interested in doing business with a publisher willing to grant him that privilege. I'm also fortunate enough to be in a position to make this decision. Yeah. Uh, what, so, uh, what, isn't it crazy that the title is How to Be Heard and she's using mm-hmm. it to like make a statement to a public? <laughs> I mean, it's so amazing that that's what happens to be. The story is a little bit funny mm-hmm. too because she's like, she's reading the story about this particular book that we will not name. And she's like, wow, I'm glad I don't have a book coming out with SNS. And she's like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, right. right. <laughs> that, oh, wait. Because it's like an imprint of Ted, which is like, I guess, distributed through SNS or something yeah, like, you know, yeah. one of these weird sort of uh, orthogonal publishing yeah, like, related, Ted, relationships. Yeah. Ted, I think, is independent of Simon and Schuster but they have an imprint there like her Ted editor is not an employee of Simon and Schuster right Um, so but anyway 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I tweeted about this happening, I think, for the first time earlier this week. And so I got several questions from people about, like, what are you doing? What should we do? Should we all boycott Simon & Schuster? And so I think it's maybe worth saying that where we've landed at Book Riot is that there are so many different ways to skin this particular Mm -hmm. cat that we're not making a policy about what contributors can or can't do with respect to Simon & Schuster books. Um, Some folks want to boycott. I've heard that from readers as well. I've heard from many people that they would encourage not a full boycott of Simon & Schuster because that has negative impact on uh, particularly people of color and members of other marginalized groups who have to struggle really hard to get Mm -hmm. any book deal at all. Um, And if they happen to be at Simon & Schuster and they're not in the position that Roxane Gay is in to just give up their book deal or hand away sales because their publisher made a decision that they wish they hadn't made, they can suffer as an effect. So I am changing... Personally, the way that I cover um, Simon & Schuster titles for the Book Riot projects that I curate titles for, um, we're all sort of doing it in our own way. Some people aren't making any changes at all. Um, and I, I think there are a lot of different things you could do if you wanted to respond to this as a reader who has buying power um, or as an editor of a thing or a blogger or whatever. But um, consider you know, all the different vectors that could have effect there. Yeah, and you know you can write you could write you could write uh, Simon Schuster. You could tweet at him. You mm-hmm. could you know send him an email. You could do any number of things that you want to. Um, I don't really cover and I don't cover enough books for it really to to for yeah. me to have a policy. I will say I was choosing between well, audio books. Well, you do that daily deal. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Though weirdly, SNS doesn't have a lot of them. But anyway, mm. that's that's a separate matter. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, I was choosing between a couple of things for, on audio the other day, and I don't even mm-hmm. remember what it was. And like. It wasn't even so much that I was like actively avoiding the SNS title, but then when I saw like it was kind of a tie and it kind of broke the tie that I went the other way. Does that make sense? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it wasn't really like if I won't say that if it had been Dan Brown, right, that I'm Mm -hmm. not going to buy. I mean, I don't I don't know that I would go that far, but it's like maybe I should. I I haven't really thought I haven't had a I haven't had a situation to come up where there's. One, but I'm going to think. I mean, at the very least, I see the SNS or one of their imprints. I'm going to think hard about it. I really am. I re- I'm, I'm not sure how that would go in that particular. Um, int- I, I wonder. I don't know how this thing works. I mean, presumably she got some sort of advance from SNS. Like she probably has to return that. Yeah, I don't I would know guess. if I don't know. I mean, presumably SNS could sue her for the work they put into it. Like if they did a, if they, has it been typeset? Like, I think it's, was there a cover mm-hmm. design, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, now that would be the dumbest thing in the history of the world for them to actually do. in this, you know, just from an optic situation, from a PR point of view, to Sue Roxanne Gay for putting her title, um, because they're publishing a Nazi. Like that would be like the worst, maybe <laughs> PR strategy of all time for a publisher. Though, I don't know. You know the news know. has been crazy. The, this week, been, we live in st- interesting times, Rebecca. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I don't know what actually the sort of, um, the legal ramifications are sort of take it out of this political moment. If someone just pulled their book, like how does that – at the very least, I think you'd have to return their, your advance. I don't know if you are liable for some of the other stuff uh, that goes on there. I yeah, know in the I'm old days sure of jazz works. records that if you didn't release the album or whatever, you tried to get out of it, they would charge you for like all the recording time and everything, mm-hmm. which was de facto so expensive that no one actually ever could get out of record deals like that. So I, I don't I don't know if that um, happens here. I mean – of course. I mean, are we surprised as Roxanne Gay? No. I mean, this is, this is, this is, and this was, I'm not surprised to see her do this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised to see her do it. I'm proud of her for having done it. The thing I said on Twitter is, and that I really hope that we will see happen is yeah. now some white authors, which is cough, the vast majority of authors yeah. um, mm-hmm. who have who are in the position or who have big book deals make the same decision uh, if you can afford to make it or if you think it's worth the sacrifice. Follow suit. Uh, she was first, and that's always hardest. But uh, if Simon & Schuster is going to either do something different here or learn from this lesson, it has to – you got to make it hurt. Yeah, and we didn't – I don't think we said that um, Carolyn Reedy's letter is directly in response, like literally addressed to a group of – looks like 160 mm-hmm. SNS um, children's and young adult authors – that wrote a letter, which also you can, well, this link will be in the yeah. show notes. Um, Jerry's piece, which has a bunch of links and including Carolyn Reedy's letter and also the author's letter to them. I wonder, I mean, you'd, you'd expect uh, someone's going to peel, some other people are going to peel off, you would think. Um, mm-hmm. uh, may, maybe, maybe they don't. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, do you think SNS is going to blink here? 
Can you can I, they blink at this point? Have they painted themselves like how how is are they really going to publish this freaking book that the guy that looks like he's auditioning for a bad uh, bad Joker <laughs> part in awful. a bad DC movie like the work this book is supposed to come out in March like that's like six weeks away I guess it's going to hit the bookstores this isn't going to be I mean I don't know well yeah I mean I guess they Simon and Schuster could decide they're going to eat the cost of whatever they've done with it so far right. and make it go away. The next line of resistance for it is really going to be at the bookstore buyer level, right. which we already saw some when the book deal was announced. Yeah. Very sneakily, the book deal was announced like on that Friday in between Christmas and New Year's when mm-hmm. no one is paying attention to the internet. Uh, like they, they knew they didn't, it's you take the trash out on Fridays. Yeah. Um, but I saw several indie bookstores, you know, saying variations on, we won't be stocking this or we won't be stocking any Simon and Schuster titles or, you know, some things in that spectrum. And so we're going to, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Oh yeah. Who's it? Book, like, was it book like, people? I can't wonder that said uh, they're going to donate, like they'll sell SNS, but they're going to donate all of the profit on those titles they make to like the Anti-Defamation League or a a nonprofit. One of the big stores did that. One of them that I follow said that like, if you come in asking for a book and it happens to be a Simon and Schuster title, they'll recommend you something similar from a different publisher. Mm. Um, And that it'll be interesting to see like what should what would really make it hurt is if one of the buyers at Barnes and Noble got mad like if Barnes and Noble refuses to carry this book yeah. then you're dead in the water right. um if somebody at Costco, you know, like this, well, actually, that's not a good comparison because Costco carries such a limited number of titles in the first place. Yeah, Target um, is a little bit more. I mean, I can't imagine Target carrying it. Just see, yeah. I mean, maybe they would, but uh, Target wouldn't touch. I mean, talk about not worth it to Target to carry that no for kidding. whatever else you might get. I mean, no, okay. I guess books a million, maybe. That's or a, you know another one of those second tier titles. Yeah, mm-hmm. Walmart. Also, doesn't seem like something Walmart would carry, but I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I haven't been in a Walmart book section in a while. Um, anyway, so we're gonna we're gonna see we're gonna see what that looks like. Um, uh, it's gonna be interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I guess it's are... gonna come out. I guess it's gonna come out. Yeah. I I kept thinking they might do a thing where they, at some point, you gotta think. I mean, it's a two hundred fifty thousand dollar advance. Which this is gonna sound weird. That's not that huge. I mean, that's not. It's a big advance, but it's not like if they pulled it tomorrow, like SNS's quarterly port would be ruined or something. Well, like that. yeah, and as we talked about, I think when we talked about how the deal was announced, like this is not the kind of book deal that indicates the publisher thinks they have like a blockbuster on their yeah. hands. It's not. Lena it's no Dunham city getting, on fire. I mean, it's and not it's gonna, not yeah. Lena Dunham getting three million dollars. No, no, no. no. Or I am Malala, you know, Malala, yeah. she got three million or something like that. Or, you, yeah, or uh, yeah, Jesse um, got a million bucks for home going. So. Yeah. If you're a bookseller or a librarian and you're comfortable telling us, we'll keep it private. Um, mm. I'd be interested in knowing what kind of decisions you're making about uh, what to do with this title or with Simon & Schuster titles yeah, in libraries, general. that's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I, I know they do their own collections, but if they have a bunch of people request it, will they go ahead and buy a copy? I don't know how that works. I mean, yeah, I, I, I know, know I know a lot of library advocacy stuff happens at the acquisitions and collection development level, but I don't know, you know, I, I don't yeah. know. Is there some point at which they got enough uh, um, patron response that they would feel compelled? Like if there's 50 holds on it and they don't, mm. and the a system doesn't want to buy a copy, would at that point they feel compelled to? If someone wrote a letter saying why, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm curious about that. Librarians, give us your, give us yeah. your thoughts. Now that you do have data about. You know, that, that one, we have real data that we need from you to, to tell us uh, if you've got. Let's do our next sponsor. It's The Girl in the Garden by Melanie Wallace. So here's the synopsis. It's, it's a novel. Um, it's her first novel. Uh, so her first novel was Blue Horse Dreaming, if you heard about that. Um, and it was long listed for the, the Francis Pre Femina for, I think, women's books. Um, books by women, excuse me. Uh, so here's the synopsis. When June arrives on the coast of New England, baby in arms, an untrustworthy man by her side, Mabel, who rents the McCabin, senses trouble. A few days later, the girl and her child are abandoned. June is soon placed with Mabel's friend Iris in town, and her life becomes intertwined with a number of locals who have known one one another for decades. A wealthy recluse with a tragic past. I love wealthy recluse stories, I have to say. A forsaken (laughs) daughter returning for the first time in years. A lawyer whose longings never reveal. And a kindly World War II veteran who serves as the town's sage. Surrounded by the personal histories and secrets of others, June finds the way forward for herself and her son amid revelations of others' past, including loves and crimes from years ago. It's got vivid, nuanced prose. Um, Melanie Wallace explores the time-tested bonds of a small community, the healing power of friendship with love, and whether the wrongs of the past can ever be made right. So it's heart, not sappy, family secrets, community, grief, love, and motherhood. It might be make a good book club. It sounds to me like 
if you made Gilmore Girls into literary fiction, oh, this is what you've got here, right? You know, you've got a you've got a single mom and a kid on the kind of on the run, and they're sort of taken in by a town. Mm-hmm. That's the Girl in the Garden by Melanie Wallace. Thank you so That's much for them for sponsoring blurb. the show. I, they didn't. Even, that wasn't even in the notes. I just came up with that on the spot. I Are you know. impressed? They should pay extra for that. They should. I'm going to send them a bill. I'll send them <laughs> an extra, extra little bill here. Okay. I, I've used all. I don't. I, I. I was all wound up to talk about <laughs> New York Times bestseller, and I promise. I, I said it on Twitter I was going to get all mad about it, and I was mad, but I'm tired and things happen. I, I don't know what to say. Um, so the news is, I don't know if people know that the New York Times bestseller list is. I mean, what would you? It's not the. It's not a it's list not. of bestsellers. That's what's it's so not. funny about it. It's, it's uh, well, it's not a. Uh, com- it's not comprehensive science that's being done there. No, I mean, but they. So, so the, the latest in, in is I call it New York Times bestseller shenanigans, is they've eliminated a number of bestseller lists, although the exact number could not be confirmed, which seems insane. Um, the cut is part of a plan by the paper to revamp its coverage of publishing. Okay, you know, I, I think they could revamp it. That, that's me being uh, throwing shade. Um, beginning with the, the delivered, the edition delivered on February 5, there will be multiple revisions to the categories. Blah, blah, blah. Long story short is that the graphic novel and manga lists are gone, mm-hmm. as is the mass market paperback list. As long as well as the middle grade ebook and young adult ebook lists, um, so they're going to get top fifteen hardcover fiction, top fifteen hardcover nonfiction, top fifteen combined print and e fiction, top top fifteen combined print and e nonfiction, top ten children's hardcover, top ten children's middle grade hardcover, top ten children's young adult hardcover chapter books, and top ten children series. Um, and then several more rel- remain online. I don't know if you know this. There's other ones you can get: paperback trade, paperback nonfiction, business, sports, science, and advice. Blah blah blah. Um, so there you go. So th- I don't know. I mean, I don't know why I get rid of the comics. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, they, that's a big deal. Graphic novels are a thing. Keep it. Uh, whatever. Mass market paperback list, middle grade ebook, and young adult ebook list. I don't know. This is. We- it all speaks to the same problem. I got 15 more seconds on this before I want to hear what you think about it. But like, <laughs> the, 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 the central problem here is that we don't have an agreed upon definition of what a bestseller is. Right. right. And, and not only do we have an agreed upon definition, we don't have complete data. Because even the New York Times data, they're, not, they're trying to get stuff from publishers and book scan and – but the, the, the thing we're not, no one talks about is Amazon's not giving anybody any numbers. Right. They're so not doing it. The way that the New York Times bestseller list gets compiled, per my best understanding, yeah. is that reporting bookstores, which is like bookstores that sign up to report and that also yes. meet some mysterious criteria <laughs> that the New York right. Times book section has, are tasked with every week submitting a report to the New York Times about the titles that they sold in their stores that week. And the New York Times takes that data that's submitted by those stores and turns it into the bestseller lists. And like bulk sales can also affect this. Like we've seen uh, admissions from various political campaigns that they did like, you know, like we bought 15,000 copies of our own book so that it could go onto the bestseller list. Um, it can it can kind of be gamed, but Amazon, which is a huge chunk of the market, is not on here. We don't really know because no one has ever told to my knowledge like what percentage of independent bookstores are on here like my understanding is that most used bookstores or the ones that are that carry a mix of used and new are not mm-hmm. reporting um, unless they can magically separate which are the new and which are the used when they go to run their numbers which maybe they can um, but it's it's not a complete data set these are not like this is not an absolute measure of these are the books that sold the most copies no. last week there's a lot of incompleteness and kind of a lot of hand waving and some arbitrary stuff that gets factored in and uh, and it, the industry just decided a long time ago that these lists mattered and so they have continued to matter because they matter it's very circular um, so in response to the no- graphic novels and manga going away, Charles uh, Kochman, who's an editorial director at Abrams Comic Arts, told Publishers Weekly, "Like, well, then how can we, as publishers of comics and graphic novels, communicate the, sec- the success of a book both in-house and in the marketplace? Like, well, you can do it in-house." 
because you can compare it. You have the absolute number of copies that that book has sold and you can compare it to all your other ones. You can't necessarily compare it to everything else in the industry. In the marketplace, Mike, I think we should just blow up the New York Times bestseller list. I think so, too. Like, if everyone decides collectively that it doesn't mean anything, because or or unless we clearly know what it does mean, it doesn't mean anything, make it go away and find some new standards for communicating what a book means in the marketplace. And what if the attention and attraction that a book got in the marketplace didn't have anything to do with how many people have bought a copy of it, but with something else. Uh, The thing that I wish for is that all the data would be open and comprehensive, that Mm -hmm. Amazon would open the kimono, that everyone like would report to BookScan, that those numbers would really be representative. That would be fascinating. We could do a lot of interesting things with them. Publishing could make better decisions, but that is just not going to happen. I'm not operating in that alternative reality. It's not going to happen. I mean, so there's a there's a link about the methodology. I just looked it up because I've read this okay. before, and it's in, it's insane it's insane sounding because they don't tell you. It's kind of like they tell you just enough to think that maybe you could be placated. So rankings reflect unit sales reported on a confidential basis by vendors offering a wide range of general interest titles. Every week, thousands of diverse selling locations report their actual sales on hundreds of thousands of individual titles. The panel of reporting retailers is comprehensive and reflects sta- sales and stores of all sizes and demographics across the United States. The sales venues for print books include many hundreds of independent book retailers, national, regional, and local chains, scores of online and multimedia entertainment retailers, supermarkets, university gift, and big box department stores, and newsstands. Ebook rankings reflect sales from leading online vendors of ebooks in a variety of popular e reader formats and are included in our combined fiction, combined nonfiction advice, children's series, and monthly lists. This is the titles are included regardless of whether they're published in both print and electronic formats or just one format. So it's kind of like it's kind of like polling, right? That's kind of what's happening here. They're saying we're not getting all sales. They're not, they're, mm-hmm. they're not they're not even saying right. that they're not saying that actually. They're because they're saying uh, hundreds of independent bookstores. Well, there are what three thousand? I don't even remember. There are thousands of independent bookstores in the U.S. Right. So already you say you're getting just a sample set. So, but we don't know. There's nothing about. You know, is there some sort of statistical significance to this? It doesn't. Do they have Barnes and Noble? Do they have Amazon? Do they? Uh, the appearance of rank, rank tail reflects that the sales data from reporting vendors has been provided to the Times in a satisfied, commonly accepted industry standard of universal verification, such as ISBN thirteen and EISBN thirteen codes, which a lot of self-published books don't have, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's- so it's just. Uh, like it's they're those, making, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, like what you're saying, they make enough of the methodology known to make it seem like they make the methodology yes, known. Right. But what you make known to like people who work in publishing or who run bookstores and want to report is really different from what you're making clear to the public. Like it's not like the New York Times bestseller list gets published every week with a big asterisk next to the word bestseller and then that explanation at the bottom of the page mm-hmm. <laughs> of like these aren't actually. We don't know for sure that these are the best selling books, the way that New York Times bestseller gets used colloquially is to convey this is a very successful book. This is a book that a bunch of people are reading. Therefore, this is a book that you should pay attention to. Readers do that with each other. Authors tout themselves as New York Times bestsellers. Uh, Publishers use it. Celebrities who write books use it. It's like, it's supposed to be a shorthand and it benefits publishers to be able to use it as a shorthand. And it's like, well, uh, just basically trust us that this is a bestseller and don't ask too many questions. And I mean, so I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking at the same week um, of hardcover fiction. I'm looking at the New York times list and I'm looking at the publisher's weekly list, right? I'm looking at mm-hmm. the, I'm looking at yeah. week on week. And it just, I mean, it sort of matches up, but it doesn't. Like, it, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say about it. Like, it just doesn't really match up. Uh, it's weird. It's, it's just very weird to see. Um, you know, and, and some appear, like, the top 10 are mostly there, but mixed up. Like, the top mm-hmm. three are the same. But then well, you get down the list, and, th- and Moon Glow by Michael Shaven appears in Publishers Weekly, but not on the New York Times. You know, it's just, I, I don't know. And then... The, the, the $10,000 question that I've never been able to get a straight answer about, and anybody knows this, if you're a little birdie, that's fine. You, you can, we won't reveal your name or anything like that. Does this include Amazon? I, I don't think it does. Do you? I don't think it does. Because our understanding is Amazon doesn't tell anyone crap about this. 
Like maybe they tell – I mean I guess they must tell the, the publishers, right, because they're ordering the number of copies. But like my understanding is Amazon's not reporting to any third party about book sales. Now that could be wrong, and I'd be love to know if I'm wrong. I'd love to know if I'm right too. Um, mm-hmm. But my understanding is and, – and not to put too fine a point on it, but 60% of uh, U.S. ebooks are sold through Amazon and like 27% – uh, of hardcover or of, of print and 26% of the whole market is ebooks. So like, what are we measuring? Like, I, it makes me crazy. It, it yeah, makes me crazy. It, it makes me crazy too. And it, like at the bottom, I feel for these comics publishers, especially who are like, yeah. well, if we have to compete with fiction, how are we supposed to compete with like a giant novel? Like if you've published a graphic novel, how are you supposed to compete with like the world where Dan Brown right. is in your category? I understand that that's frustrating. And he's saying, Cookman is saying here going forward, th- this decision from the New York Times is going to have a significant effect on how a graphic novel is considered a success. Mm-hmm. So like, what if all the graphic novel publishers got together and shared data about... But publishers least, don't want to do that, I guess. I mean, right, that's the problem, right? They don't want to, but like, if you were going to blow up the New York Times bestseller yes. list, what would you replace it with? Um, maybe a collective of publishers who share their data to actually try to determine what are the best-selling titles. And I know that like the publisher level, what's going out from a publisher to bookstores is a different measure than the number of copies that this bookstore is selling and the number of copies that that bookstore is selling. But presumably that data does ultimately make its way back to the publisher because like, I don't know if the fountain here in Richmond buys 10 copies of the new Dan Brown and they only sell seven of them. Ultimately, they're going to return three. So that number becomes available to Dan Brown's publisher. Like it seems that a collective of publishers who were willing to be transparent with each other about the data could affect some kind of change or offer an alternate list or at least like make a motion towards doing something that's mm-hmm. more comprehensive. But the, the industry has decided to believe that the New York Times bestseller list matters. So crap like this will continue happening and will continue affecting sales in right. ways that it perhaps shouldn't until we all just decide it doesn't matter anymore. Because the other thing that happens is if you become a New York Times bestseller, they're printing that stuff on your their paperback version of your book right. or they're going to get a sticker like that has the social proof thing that you know talks about as being influential and it's one of those things that's because it comes such a shorthand it's kind of like the dow jones industrial average which is a, a ridiculous way of measuring the health of the u.s economy mm-hmm. by the way i mean that's a whole nother rabbit hole that i really would be interested in going down to because that's the sort of thing i like but i'm not going to do it here but it, it becomes it has this gravity of its own that really isn't warranted like and it comes – the thing I keep coming back to is what do we want from these lists? Like I guess what we want is to see as a consumer what are people buying, right? I mean right. what else is there? That if This is not for the industry. I get, well, maybe it is because they don't share data with each other. I don't know. But like what are we doing with this? Like why is this interesting? I'm interested because I'm saying I want to see what's selling. And like that's one thing I like about BookScan um, – because I know it's limited, I know it's flaws, but at least the flaws are there. But they also give you data. Like the other thing that the New York Times does, so there's no numbers. It, it's just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, nineteen, twenty. Because that's how counting works. But like, <laughs> there's no sales day. Like, is the is the number one six times the Sometimes selling it of is. the? No, but I mean, like, yes, I know. But like, okay, I'm looking at um, the Publishers Weekly. So the number one bestseller for this week was uh, The Mistress by Daniel Still, and it sold. Uh, 17,640 copies. The number 25 um, title is Curtain of Death from Putnam, and it sold 2,881. Mm-hmm. So and it's like both- almost a factor of 10, and they're both New York Times bestsellers. <laughs> and they're both going to slap New York Times bestseller stickers on every yeah. edition of the book from here on out. Yeah, I think what readers are doing when they pay attention to bestseller lists is what are other people yeah. reading, what's popular, what's getting attention. Because like you can pay attention to fashion trends by just looking around you. You know, right. like you can notice that everybody else in the coffee shop is wearing skinny jeans, and maybe that's a trend now. Right. Um, but it's it's more difficult with books to know like what have what has someone gone to a bookstore and bought or or what are people ordering on Amazon or whatever and so it does like it's supposed to serve a purpose but it becomes this very like it just reifies itself over yeah. and over and over well we've heard stories of people trying to game it like there's this famous one about Augustine Burroughs right who would buy like I think he would buy like his he would buy his copies from the publisher mm-hmm. And then they would report – he'd buy like 10,000 at once, so it would make the New York Times bestseller list. Then he would distribute them and sell them at signings himself for like the next two yeah. years yeah. because all he wanted to do – and hey, I, you know, game the game – you know, play the game, I guess, is get the New York Times bestseller sticker so he could put it on there because then it becomes – it has its like juice of its own. 
once right. you get on the list. Then it's like, oh, people see it and they want to buy it. Like it had effects. Like that's what makes me crazy. If it was just nothing and it didn't matter, like whatever, you know, you, it's like someone's listing on a blog, like it's interesting, but it doesn't really have effect in the real world. Like this actually affects what people buy and how they understand the industry to work and what other people are buying. Like, I don't know. It just makes me so insane that the, the they're covering up the incompleteness of it and right. yet still it retains this authority that it really doesn't warrant in any kind of real way. Because we don't even know what it doesn't have. We don't even know what we don't know. Like if it said, yes, we have Barnes & Noble. Yes, we have Amazon. And here are the 200 bookstores that are reporting to us. At least then I know what's in my pudding, right? Mm -hmm. At this point, I'm just like, I don't know what's in this goulash. Like, Like, what is this? Right, that we think this is a representative enough sample to reasonably call the reports from these stores the best-selling books. Right. Uh, yeah, but there, that doesn't exist. It's maddening. Would you like to hear about our next sponsor? Yeah, tell me about the next. Give me off this. Give me this off is this great. Train. Our next sponsor. I, I like almost had a segue that was going to incorporate the title mm. and I just couldn't quite get there, but it's Perfect right. Little World by Kevin Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> I just read this a couple weeks ago. It's wonderful. Uh, This is Wilson's anticipated, highly anticipated follow-up to The Family Fang, uh, which you probably remember from a few years ago. It's a movie coming out soon. This is about a teenage girl named Izzy Poole who is invited to join the Infinite Family Project, which is a study that's trying to find out what would happen when 10 children are raised collectively without knowing who their biological parents are. Uh, This is sort of an attempt at a utopian ideal. It starts off promising as utopian ideals all always do. Uh, But soon the gentle equilibrium among the families disintegrates. There are unspoken resentments between the couples. uh, The project's funding becomes tenuous and Izzy's growing feelings toward the psychologist who founded the study make her question her participation in the strange experiment in the first place. Uh, So Izzy is like, she's 19. She's pregnant by her high school art teacher and she gets recruited to this study where they've built this giant complex with like a billionaire's funding where every need that these kids could ever have is going to be met. And the families have all committed to live there for 10 years. The children are all raised collectively um, up until a certain age when they find out who their parents are, but then they continue the collective raising. Like they all go to school together and everyone eats all their meals together. Um, And they're studying every aspect of the children's development of like what happens when you give them not just two parents, but these full resources and all of these adults that they could be attached to. What can you do to to change the definition of families and to expand it? Uh, It's a really interesting thought experiment. It's very compassionate and also really funny. Um, I I really enjoyed reading it. I got to talk about it on all the books. Uh, I think it was last week. Uh, So I'm happy to see them sponsoring. Again, it's Perfect Little World by Kevin Wilson. It's out from X. Awesome. Um, so this is this is a story I've been waiting, I've been hoping, I've been looking forward to talking about on the show ever since we were at Book Riot Live. <gasps> yes, um, yes, yes. I just saw the link. Yes, Noel Santos, uh, who we uh, showed up at our live recording after we said her name. Our name kept our mouth, and she magically appeared. No, she was just downstairs, and someone said they're talking about you. Um, she is trying to open the Lit Bar, which would be the only bookstore in the Bronx, New York. Um, and the Indiegogo campaign is live. It's available now. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, please go check it out. She's doing a flexible campaign, which means, I mean, just just to be clear, she's going to take whatever money she raises. She doesn't have to hit the goal to get the to get the money. Like some Kickstarter, I think all Kickstarter campaigns are like this, right? Where like mm-hmm. you have to set a goal and you have to make it to get it. Indiegogo allows you to say, "Here's my goal, but what I'll take whatever I get, you know, from and I don't have to the the pledges will still go through." Um, but talked about what she's been doing, and she's been doing her homework. So she found a mentor in uh, Nicole Sol- Sullivan, who owns a book bar in Colorado. It's a bookstore and wine bar. She went to take – I don't know if you've heard of this. There is a – I don't know if it's famous, but a well-regarded independent bookstore like Crash Course oh, cool. um, that Paz and Associates puts on in, in Florida. Like you go down for a week, and they walk you through like inventory and returns and remainders and all that kind of stuff. Um, she's got local mentorship and frontline operational training from Housing Work Bookstore, Word Up, Community Bookshop, and Greenlight. Good job to all of them. Um, and uh, she got um, second place in the 2016 New York Startup Business Plan Competition. Uh, that's between the New York Public Library and City Citibank. So she's really done. Uh, she's really been doing her homework, um, and so finally she's ready to start collecting money to put it, you know, to buy stock to get a rent. Um, you know, she's been featured in a whole bunch of different kinds of places. Um, she does a good job of saying where all the money is going. She's trying to raise uh, $200,000. Um, and the book and book books and non-book merchandise, uh, you know, $117,000. 
is that right there. Point of sale and inventory system. They get, you know, Indiegogo gets some, you know, she does a good job and there's available, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a whole bunch of different levels starting at tons of levels, $10 all the way up to, I didn't even look, five grand. So, you know, go look at it if you want to support them, you know, this would be a great place to do it. Some of them you can get a book, some of them you get nothing, just you want to give down, you can go to a party, uh, you get a book and wine pairing, you know, go check it out. Um, Well done, Noel. Um, Congratulations on getting to this point. Um, we wish you all the best of luck. And we'll mention it a couple more times uh, before the campaign is over. So there we go. Best um, of luck. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not, did I say 200? It's 100,000. It's 100,000, yeah. Yeah, and so she's asking fellow lovers to raise 100,000, which represents only a third of the total startup budget. So, you know, it's, she, she's going to come up with between herself and some award money and friends and families, um, but she's looking to the community to, to, to do it. Um, 1.4 million people, 10 colleges, 42.7 square miles, and no bookstore. And if you are listening to this and you have access to other forms of media, especially yes. near in New York and the Bronx, help get the word out. Yeah, that's also – I mean, I saw a thing once. I don't know if it's still true, but uh, I think it was about a year ago that said sharing – a Kickstarter and Indiegogo campaign on Facebook and Twitter combined, like just the sharing alone results in about 18 to $26, mm-hmm. I think, of pledges. So, you know, if you can give some or you can't give some, but like that actually, in aggregate, that's what it turns into because someone else you might know will share it and then someone else. And you only need like a couple people in your network right. sharing it or getting involved um, to really make a difference. That stuff really matters. So congratulations to her. Um, last story is, I, it's related to the political stuff, I think, well, it is. Um <laughs> But uh, dystopian is flying up the charts. Flying up the charts. Mm-hmm. I mean, old dystopian. Not even. Not e- yeah. I mean, not uh, even new. I'm not even looking at the link. What does even the link say? Did I even click <laughs> so, on this link? Uh, I don't. Know. So bestsellers from the yeah. week ending January or beginning this January 23rd. Right. So last week, last week's best-selling titles included The Handmaid's Tale. The Handmaid's Tale. Tale. Yeah. <laughs> By Margaret Atwood. And it's not showing uh, up here, but I, I saw a tweet um, that someone captured that for a few days over the weekend, I think, 1984 mm-hmm. was the number one best-selling book on Amazon. Yes, that has happened. Citizen by Claudia Rankine, the great uh, work of poetry, uh, has had a resurgence as well, which of course is all about being black mm-hmm. in America. Um, I saw some signs at the Women's March in D.C. saying, like, make Margaret Atwood fiction again. Yes, it's amazing. Um, so, yeah, very clever. Very, uh, I'm sad that we have to have these signs, uh, but it's going to be interesting. I think we're doing some speculation behind the scenes at Book Riot about like what other books might become uh, sort of rejuvenated bestsellers mm. uh, in the current political climate. I guess if you had to predict any ahead of time, you could have predicted 1984 and The Handmaid's yeah. Tale. Um, it will be interesting, certainly, to to see what continues to happen. Uh, with I mean, those, American but... Pastoral by Philip Roth would be one that makes sense. It can't happen here. Sinclair Lewis. Oh, what I say? What I say from you said American pastoral. Oh, American. Yeah, plot against America. Right, right. You know, it can't happen here by Sinclair Lewis. Um, That that would be an an Mm -hmm. obvious. Would be interesting to see like the men we reaped. Yeah, uh, come back up. Oh, Citizen did come back up by Mm -hmm. Claudia Rankine. Yeah, uh, interesting. Here they had bestsellers by region, which I haven't seen recently. And Mm. uh, in your great Mid Atlantic, Milk and Honey. The bestseller yes. of Milk Atlantic. God, I saw it at Pat Powell's. It was on the recommended table for the first time at my local Powell's. Oh, like, interesting. I, I, well, the first time I noticed it. That's, let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> but I, my antenna were up, and I, and I saw it there. But yeah, I, you know, people are out there buying books and trying to figure out. I mean, I'd like to say that. I, I mean, the, the one – I mean, we'll get, get out of here on this. I mean, I don't want to do too much politics stuff here, but the stuff about alternative facts is like – kind of amazingly Orwellian. Like, there's mm-hmm. a part of, like, the literary fan in me that's like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, someone's <laughs> actually saying this. And the other part of me is like, run for the hills. But, like, I'll turn to facts, and, like, the, the, the president should be the source of the information. It's, like, it's kind of insane. And, like, all this fake stuff about voter fraud, like, it's not Orwellian. And, like, like you can't, like, put a checker on a checker, like, that's doublespeak or group, you know, like, all right. the thought police. But, like, the stuff about, like, alternative facts and asking you to not believe the things you see with your eyes and ears, like... It's it's some of the same foundational stuff, but this is the the manifestation of it. I wonder what Oral. I mean, it's interesting. I was reading about Oral a while ago, and at the end of his life, he was like, "I got it wrong," right? Mm. He's like, "I this is not how it is going to." He was reacting to, you know, he was really reacting to sort of 
you know, Soviet-style authoritarianism. Right. Well, he was only off by like 30-something years. Well, but even that, but like it doesn't have this quite the same shape at least yet. Because the thing he couldn't really see is like social media, right? Right. Like you couldn't really see like, because Winston Groom's job, I think if I remember this right, like his job is literally going back into the historical archives and changing newspaper mm-hmm. accounts of what actually happened. Where that's not going to be how it works out. But the stuff about centralization of information and disputing the truth and stuff like that, that's really on there. But like Don't the internet has all these. tweets from national parks. Well, I mean that that's right, but that's <laughs> yeah. that's kind of the diff- that's the he couldn't I mean there's no way he could have anticipated <laughs> right. yeah, you that. Can't, but you like, can't imagine that, but But the thing he did be... imagine is like truth itself being an enemy at some mm-hmm. point to an authoritarian regime. Like yeah. that that's that's the thing that he got quote unquote right, at least in this Yeah, the Oh fiction, baby. I would say the fiction of like thirty five years from now will be interesting if we're all here to read yeah, it. Yeah, you know, like I guess usually books I mean, weirdly books are they're as long as the lead times are, they're way shorter than like movies, right? Mm-hmm. So we might be in, in terms of fiction, I guess the nonfiction comes faster, but in terms of fiction, it'll be interesting to see. Like, I don't buy this as well. At least we're going to get great art. I think that's ridiculous. I mean, we can get good art anyway. We don't need to be like yeah, miserable no. to get great art, like whatever. But like, I think it will be interesting to see just from sort of a spectator's point of view, like, what do the novels look like? Like, how do you, how is this going to, ha- how are you going to, well, dystopian YA kind of like, well, you need like a future sci-fi speculative dystopian situation to like deal with the issues. Mm. Yeah. Because that's something I don't know about 1984 or even The Handmaid's Tale. Like, why did they choose, you know, sort of sci-fi as, as the, 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 the milieu to, to talk about these particular issues? I, I think that's interesting to, to wonder about too. Um, especially since we're in such a multi-genre moment that's where true. stuff cross over all the time. It may be interesting to see. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, boy. So, if you, I need like a GIF of my hand movements through all. There was a lot of. It looked like I was Leonard Bernstein at the front of the New York Philharmonic. Okay, it's gonna be. That's our show. Okay, uh, shoot us an email podcast at bookriot.com, Especially want to know about. Oh yeah, and um, uh, if you have to, what what would compel you to order the book that Shelby not be named if you are a librarian and you were not inclined to order it anyway? Like, is there a situation? Is there a line that would be crossed? Could you get? pressure does that sort of thing happen we'd love to know about that you can find show notes at um, bookwrite.com slash listen i think i'm also i've been linking to the show notes in this episodes mm-hmm. and i've been seeing people clicking on that because i put some tracking on there just to see like it's worth it and I, people have been and i think i'm just going to go put all the show notes in those descriptions like it's only a few links and some oh, sponsor okay. stuff so you can go to there but look in the description for next week you should have a list of all the links we talked about or at least all the links i remembered that we talked about that got, <laughs> those those are two different actually distinct categories <laughs> Um, that's our show. Thanks to our sponsors, The Girl in the Garden, uh, Perfect World, In a Perfect World? Is that uh, right? Perfect Little World. Perfect Little World, Perfect Little World, and uh, Madison Reed for changing the color of your hair. Uh, that's our show. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Have a good one. <laughs>